What's up, ladies and gents? My name is Paul De Wieland, and I welcome you back to another episode of the Year of Plenty podcast. If you've listened to my previous episodes, you already know that the mission of the Year of Plenty podcast is to dive deep into the world of food and to explore many different topics such as cooking, farming, gardening, and many more. If you're interested in learning about everything from the raw ingredients to the meals on your plate, as well as the systems that supply our food, you've come to the right place. So at the Year of Plenty, we believe that an intimate relationship with food and an understanding of where your food comes from is one of the pillars essential for a healthy and satisfying life. And uh, that is why we will continue our mission to explore as much about food as possible. So before I started this podcast, I thought of several topics to learn about and share with you guys. One of these topics were kitchen herbs. So kitchen herbs play a huge role when it comes to cooking and have even been used, you know, to treat health problems throughout history by many different cultures. So for future episodes, I'm planning on covering a bunch of different kind of kitchen herbs available to us. For today's episode, I decided to go with the herb many of us are probably familiar with. This herb is used in many cuisines across the world. Maybe you've guessed it already, but I'm talking about basil, or often referred to as the king of herbs. Surprisingly to me, basil is an herb that is part of the mint family, and it comes in many different varieties. But if I think about it, basil does kind of have that minty smell and flavor to it. Before doing this research, I uh, only knew of one variety of basil, but it turns out that there's tons of varieties out there, even some with the taste of lemon and cinnamon, which I thought was super cool. The most common one is probably the variety found in the Mediterranean region, known as sweet basil. The sweet basil is relatively mild and it possesses like a sweet, almost clove-like flavor. And most people recognize sweet basil as the culinary basil since it's used so extensively in kitchens and cuisines around the world. However, another common variety is Thai basil, which is often found in many Asian dishes. They usually add it to uh, soups and fish. I'm not going to name all the varieties here in this episode because that would take way longer and you guys would probably fall asleep. So for those of you who don't know what basil looks like, I would recommend to go online and look at a couple of pictures right now. This will give you a better idea than me explaining it through this audio-only format. Yet, I did find a short description of basil by Nicholas Culpepper. He wrote a very famous book called The Complete Herbal. And I pulled a quote from this book, which I'm going to read to you guys right now. So here it goes, quote, The greater or ordinary basil riseth up, usually with one upright stalk, diversely branching forth on all sides, with two leaves at every joint, which is somewhat broad and round, yet pointed of a pale green color, but fresh, a little snipped about the edges and of a strong healthy scent. The flowers are small and white and standing at the tops of the branches with two leaves at the joints, in some places gray, in others brown, after which come black seed. The root perishes at the approach of winter and therefore must be sown every year." End quote. Now it is probably hard to imagine what a basil plant looks like from this quote, but I thought it would still be kind of cool to hear what Culpepper, who lived several hundred years ago, had to say about the herb. So on that note, I really want to go into the history of basil a bit. I'm always fascinated about the history of food things. I uh, also really love to learn about the ways our ancestors and you know people throughout history used these ingredients. For me at least, learning some of the history or even the stories around food really helps me to appreciate it more. Just like so many other plants found in nature, basil has been harvested and used by humans for a very long time. 
Now, basil is probably not what you know pops into your head when you think of uh, history, but there's some really cool stories tied to this tasty kitchen herb. It's not quite clear when exactly basil originated and where, but it is believed that it could have started in Africa and was then first cultivated in India, and even in India today it's still a sacred herb. So according to the Guide on Basil by the Herb Society of America, legend has it that basil was brought to ancient Greece by Alexander the Great after one of his conquests. Whoa. We don't know if this is true, but what we do know is that it reached northern Europe much later and wasn't introduced to America until the 17th century. Furthermore, archaeologists claim that uh, basil has been used uh, for several thousands of years, going as far back as ancient Egypt. Archaeologists have actually found traces of basils in tombs and uh, on mummies, and therefore they believe that the ancient Egyptians used it as or used it for like embalming and preservation purposes, which is pretty gnarly. But what's also interesting is that throughout history, basils had like a lot of different associations and symbolism. In some traditions, uh, it was sacred and loved, and while others kind of feared it and associated it with mourning. But in both ancient Greece and Rome, for example, there are accounts of ancient rituals and, uh, involving cursing when basil was planted. Cursing the plant was believed to assist growth and deliver a healthy harvest. Actually, the name basil is derived from a Latin and Greek uh, word meaning royal. So this might be why it's often you know, referred to as the king of herbs or associated with royalty throughout history. And uh, just like in the ancient world, during medieval times, people had conflicting views about basil. It seemed like, you know, people just couldn't make up their mind over this herb. John Gerard, one of the famous botanists from England in the 19 or in the 1500s, claimed that basil juice drank with wine could cure headaches and that it could be used to help people with melancholy or those that were short-winded. Other botanists on the other hand uh, believed that it could cause the spontaneous creation of scorpions, which I think is pretty wild. One account even claims that it would uh, cause scorpions to grow in the brain. This is the one I found the funniest. To be honest, I'm glad that we have scientists today that are actually systematically approaching these topics without this kind of speculation. Now, no one really knows where the negative associations truly come from. We can only speculate, but some people believe that there might have been you know, some confusion amongst the people between basil and the basilisk which is an ancient mythical creature that could kill you with a single gaze. Most of you probably have seen Harry Potter. That's the kind of creature they're talking about in the second one, Chamber of Secrets. Well, even in Latin and Greek, the names are very similar. So remember the quote I gave you about Basil at the beginning from the botanist Culpepper? He really gives us some insight into the disagreement about Basil. He called Basil, quote, the herb which all authors are together by the ear about and rail at one another like lawyers, end quote. So now we know that, you know, basil has many different faces in history, but like many other herbs, it was also used in traditional medicine and especially for bronchitis and colds or high levels of stress. What I thought was really interesting is that uh, sometimes it was dried and then ground up into a powder and then snorted to free the nose and airways. This kind of makes sense to me because, you know, it does kind of have that minty flavor to it. So, you know, mint is used to kind of clear the nostrils and all that or you know for better breath so it kind of that i thought that was kind of cool how to how to use it also another thing that people did with basil is they made they used it as an insecticide to protect the skin from bugs and that's kind of cool because you know back then they obviously didn't have 
chemical insecticides. So they had to use things in nature to uh, help themselves out. Now, today we live in a world in which science can help us explain many mysteries from the past. Let's talk about some of the benefits of basil that we know of today. So basil has many different vitamins and is especially rich in vitamin K and A. I looked online on a uh, nutritional website where you can calculate, you know, uh, the daily values of ingredients and foods. And I was surprised to see that just two tablespoons of basil supplies you with 27% of your daily value of vitamin K. I'll actually leave the uh, link to this calculator in the show notes if you guys want to check it out yourself. Many people, including myself, are supplementing with vitamin K. In fact, according to an article from the Harvard Public School of Health, which is also going to be in the show notes, national data suggests that only one in four Americans meets the goal for vitamin K intake from food. But basil doesn't just have vitamins. Uh, it, it's also believed to have antibacterial properties, which come from its essential oils. Uh, most of them have shown to restrict the growth of bad bacteria, such as staph and E. coli. And actually, these oils are also what gives basil its fantastic smell. If you have a basil plant or ever tried basil, you know that it has a really strong smell. Actually, when you touch the plant, it releases its oils, and then the whole room will just fill with a magical basil-y smell. I like it a lot. <laughs> What I also found super exciting about basil is that it might have the potential to lower blood sugar levels. Uh, they did a study on rats where they found that. Obviously, you know, that hasn't been, or as far as I know, it hasn't been tried on humans, but still something to think about. Additionally, it can uh, reduce the effects of oxidative stress. Like many other herbs, basil is rich in antioxidants. Adding more ingredients rich in antioxidants like basil, you know, to your meals could really help reduce the oxidative stress in your body and ultimately make you healthier, just a healthier person all around. So, but the big question of the day, how do we use basil in cooking? Well, adding herbs to your meal won't only add a magical and mouthwatering smell to the kitchen air. It will also give you guys uh, or give your meal that little extra flavor that can really make a big difference. Basil can be added to virtually any food, in my opinion. Just know that it has a pretty strong flavor and might be, you know, kind of overpowering. You just really got to experiment with it. Since basil is one of those herbs that um, can lose its flavor and taste if cooked too long, it kind of makes sense to add it to your meal later. So later in the cooking process. This way, you know, you won't have to worry about overcooking it and losing all its flavors, vitamins and minerals and whatnot. The cuisine that probably uses basil the most is the Italian cuisine, as many of you might know. Um, they have basil in, like in Italy, they have basil in a lot of your dishes, and it goes well with chicken, fish, marinades, mushrooms, and a bunch of different sauces. Like a traditional Italian tomato sauce usually always has basil as an ingredient. It kind of fits well with almost any dish that is rich in tomatoes. One of my favorite side dishes is a mozzarella tomato salad with basil that my mom always makes. This salad is super easy to make. All you need is tomatoes, mozzarella, salt, pepper, balsamic vinaigrette, and basil. I'll repeat. What you're going to need is tomato, mozzarella, salt, pepper, balsamic vinaigrette, and basil. So many people buy the tiny balls of mozzarella to make this salad, but I prefer to buy the big chunk and you know then cut, cut it into like slices what is cool is that the mozzarella will have roughly the same size and shape as your sliced tomatoes so this will make it look really nice when you serve it 
So I'm going to tell you guys how to make this salad. And uh, I mean, you can return back to the podcast episode when you're trying to make it. It's super easy. So here it goes. First, what you want to do is cut the tomatoes into slices. It is uh, easier if you use the sharpest knife you have. This will just minimize the loss of all those tomato juices. So once you're all done with the tomatoes, uh, grab the mozzarella. I usually have the big ball, like I said, and then I just cut it into slices. Same thing as I did with the tomatoes. Next, you want to grab a plate or platter and assemble the sliced pieces of tomato and mozzarella next to each other. So I usually alternate between tomatoes and mozzarella so that both are evenly spread in the platter or plate. If you're done with that, all you have to do is add some salt and pepper on top, then add some balsamic vinaigrette. And then finally, you just take your basil leaves and lay them out on top of your salad. I usually put a bunch on there, but you can put uh, as many as you want on there. Maybe you just want a little bit for decoration. But like I said, I like the flavor a lot, so I would add, I personally add a lot. That's it. I mean, it's super easy to make. It works great as a side dish. My parents make it all the time when people come over. And, you know, this way you'll get a little dose of basil. All right, so it's not just, you know, tomato mozzarella salads that call for basil. Another famous food that relies almost entirely on basil is pesto sauce. Basil is the main ingredient in pesto. And boy, does it taste amazing. This is like another thing you can easily make at home. And there's great videos online on YouTube. So I would go check those out and you can make it in like a couple minutes, maybe like half an hour, but it's fun. I also learned that uh, basil can be brewed as a tea, which I I love tea. I I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big tea drinker in the winter and even sometimes in the summer. Well, in India, they actually use a variety called holy basil and... They, uh, to make this tea now it's not the basil you will find here in america usually i'm sure you can find it but the basil you find in stores is usually sweet basil but uh, i'm sure it would still taste great and interesting as a tea just try it out i mean it doesn't hurt so you can find basil in stores as a whole plant in uh, bundles or even dried i personally prefer it fresh uh, if served fresh it retains the most flavor and nutritional value So that is one reason why I urge you to get your own basil plant. They're not like a hard plant to grow or to take care of, but they do require a little bit of special attention. However, if you're serious about consuming more basil, then growing your own might really be worth it. A lot of basil found in supermarkets are grown to be rapidly sold and used. So I'm talking about live basil plants here. Uh, They are grown in perfect conditions to get the plant to develop fast and to be ready for sale fast. These commercially, you know, grown basil plants often never see any daylight, wind or rain, which are some of the factors that make a plant really robust. So therefore, I recommend to grow it yourself from a seed. Otherwise, you know, you'll buy that basil plant from the store and it'll probably die in a couple of days. It's pretty easy and super fun to grow basil from a seed. You can uh, keep the plant uh, in your garden or even indoors on your windowsill. I personally have a small plant box with a bunch of different herbs, so that's also an option if you want to get something like that. What you got to know, though, is that basil is an annual, which means that it will have to be re-sown every year. And you can sow the seed at the end of March, usually. Uh, Usually the package, you know, when you buy it, it'll tell you when. But as a rule of thumb, end of March, uh, I usually buy a seed starter kit and then transplant uh the you know the plant once it gets a little bigger into a large pot just make sure to be careful when transplanting to uh, minimize the damage done to the roots 
So basil is actually a great plant to be kept in a pot, but if you keep your plant indoors, it really makes sense to put it in a large container or pot. The uh, benefits of having a large pot is that you can, you know, add new soil or warm castings every now and then. This will uh, provide new healthy nutrients to the soil and will result in a much healthier plant altogether. And this goes for any plant. I mean, if you're going to keep plants indoors and in pots, I would give them um, a bigger container so that they have soil and that they can build a nice root system. So in general, basil requires a nutrient-rich soil and it also, you know, needs to be well-drained. It doesn't really like to be too wet. On the other hand, you also don't want to let your plant go too dry. So a good rule of thumb for basil is to keep the soil moist but not soggy. I agree it's sometimes hard to tell, you know, if it has enough water or not. But what I usually do is, is I just take my finger, uh, my index finger, and I stick it into the soil. And if I can feel that it's really dry or just dry in general, I'll give it some water. So furthermore, basil uh, loves the sun, so make sure it has a good exposure to sunlight, usually between 6 to 10 hours. If you're growing indoors, I would aim more toward the 10 hours. Once your basil plant gets large enough, you want to keep cutting its main stems. Many people that grow their basil on windowsills don't do this, and I still hesitate to do this at times, even though it's like an essential thing and everyone says you should. So the plant needs to be cut right above the point where two leaves emerge from a stem, and this will force the plant to grow new leaves, turning it into a bush of tasty basil leaves. Again, there's videos on YouTube that really show this well, so I would go check them out if you have your own basil plant and you don't already do this. Also, it can happen that your basil plant wants to develop flowers. You really don't want to let this happen because it can affect the taste of the leaves and slow the leaf production in general. So, I mean, that's what you want. You want to be harvesting leaves from your basil plant. So whenever it flowers, just remove them. So finally, imagine your plant's big enough and you can't wait. It smells great. You want to harvest it, make some mozzarella, tomato salad with it. Well, don't over-harvest. Because if you do, you're going to damage the plant and you really want to give it some time to redevelop leaves. Once you harvest the leaves, it's best to use them right away. If you can't, you can, uh, you know, store them, but you got to know that basil leaves are kind of hard to preserve. However, you can store them in an airtight Ziploc bag and freeze them. Just make sure the basil leaves are dry before you put them in the bag. This will prolong the life of your leaves and the leaves will actually retain their flavor quite nicely. Another option is to dry the leaves and grind them up into flakes. Altogether, I was surprised to find a host of benefits on basil. As we discussed, it is rich in vitamins and antioxidants and can be used with many of your veggies and meat dishes. You can buy it at the store or even grow it yourself with ease. I encourage you guys to look up some recipes that include basil and just try to make them. Just make the food. I think discovering new dishes and ingredients is one of the joys of cooking. Not only will you have you know, learn more, but it'll also give you a sense of connection to the food, which I think is very important. I definitely look at basil in a totally new way after doing all this research. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I mentioned earlier, I will have more episodes in Kitchen Herbs. There are many cool herbs out there to explore and learn about and add to your kitchen arsenal. But if you guys have any herbs that you want me to explore in the future, just leave a comment or send me a message on Facebook or uh, Twitter. I mean, I'm doing this for you guys. Um, obviously, I want to learn about all this stuff as well. But I love sharing it with you guys. And uh, so if you have anything you want me to explore, let me know. All right, guys, that's the end of the episode. Please subscribe on the Apple app. 
Uh, I'm hoping to get this podcast on other mediums like Spotify in the future. Right now, we're on Apple. Uh, you can also f listen to the podcast online on our website, www.theyearofplenty.com, where I'll be posting this episode with its show notes. Um, also, please follow us on social media. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. Uh, if you go on our website, you can just, you know, on the bottom, you'll see the links to Twitter and, and Facebook. So please do that. Follow us. Also, it would be great if you could leave a five-star review on the Apple podcast app. That's really what gets us, you know, ranked. And that way we can reach a lot more people. All right. See you soon.